1: Welcome
2: back to Osbis Australia's only live Australian business and markets channel. Great to have your company. Just gone midday on a Wednesday. Hump of the week. Boy, is there a lot happening on the markets at the moment. Uh, so a lot to talk about apart from your 10 stocks and our uh, stock of the day. Great to have our two experts in today. Michael Wayne from Medanian Financial. Michael, good to see you. Andrew Page from straw man Andrew always great to have you aboard Thanks, David. Um, how's earning season going you, any surprises yeah.
0: look I mean there's been a couple of better performers. something like IDP education is probably one of our stocks that stood out the most but by and large I
2: didn't realize they were half owned by all the universities yeah in Australia and universities are screaming for money at the moment from the government I'm <laughs> thinking <laughs> so your IDP stock, which is worth, what, about $3 billion? Well,
0: the English language testing systems is sort of the, the product they all have a share in, which is the, the benchmark globally for English language tests. So To
2: get into university. Or migration. Their whatever. universities. That's right. So they're saying, unless you take that test, you don't get in. It's That's pretty It's right. a nice pretty good deal. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you'll definitely take
0: that. But um, otherwise, it's been... Not too many blow ups. We've avoided the blow ups so far, which is a positive. I think there's been a lot of disclosure in the last few months from companies because of what's been going on with COVID. So there hasn't been too many out and out disasters or too many out and out Positive surprises from yeah. my, from our point of view. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, yeah I'd echo that. I mean, it's, it's what's what's been tricky about it is that we knew it was going to be bad for a lot of companies. It's the, the real the real art has been trying to work out how temporary this is. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. I, we all know it's going to end at some stage, but there's a hell of a lot of impact be, between that yeah. sort of resolving in six months or in three years. You know, and that's that's yeah. the tricky part.
2: Yeah. And of course, some sectors absolutely uh, blowing up at the moment, uh, Afterpay zip, zips up another 15% yep. today, By now, pay later, are you in on it, Michael?
0: I'm not, uh, unfortunately, haven't been in it for a, a while, mm. Afterpay was the one that we sort of had in very early days for clients mm. and, and we just tapped out a long time ago. The only person's in it is my mum. What? <laughs> My mum, she's out there buying Zip and buying Afterpay and doing a lot better than us. So I'll be sending my money are, off to her. Is, is she
2: taking advice from you or just going no, and doing it?
0: She's discarded me a long time ago. She's going it. She's going she do better.
2: <laughs> yeah. Isn't that a typical mother? <laughs> Mrs. Wayne, well done. <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs> You're doing that. Uh, that is a fantastic story. and happens so often. And I was reminded of the guy, if you were watching the call last Friday and Adam Dawes from Shaw um was saying he was buying um, Zip for his clients last Friday because sure it had a conference call with Zip and they' were going to make some announcements this week if you'd act, if you acted on his advice uh, you'd have done pretty well that's the reason you've got to watch the call every day between <laughs> midday and 1 p.m uh, before we get into your um, uh, into your suggested stocks let's look at the stock of the day that I'd chosen and and a retailer that's been pretty popular, here on the call, um, highly regarded in terms of management. Um, at La Visa, um, it announced their net profit today, down nearly 50%, hit hard by the pandemic. Comparable same store sales also lower, down 5% on a year ago. This despite restrictions being lifted and some stores reopening. Revenue there though down just 3%, with the strongest performance of the company seen across its Australia and New Zealand business despite the drop. Shareholders still said to get the deferred interim dividend of 15 cents a share. However, no final payout is on the cards, no uh, forward guidance at the moment either. Now, um, LaVisa, um, Andrew is regarded as being one of the best run retailers, isn't it? It So um, a result like that,
1: does that change opinions? Um, this is kind of what I was hinting at at the start here. I mean, this is this is a, a retailer. We know what's happened with all of the lockdowns. A whole bunch of their stores are closed. They had to exit Spain because a couple of uh, yep. landlords weren't wanting to renegotiate. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a big plunge in profit. But again, you've got to look past that. And, and this is a business that has just a wonderful model. I mean, the return on invested capital that these guys get is outstanding for a retailer, something like 25% or so. Yep. And the things that really matter for a retailer are things like Asset uh, turnover and, and gross margins, and they both just do it so well. They these guys release a hundred new products to the market each week. Each you know, week. Each week. Each week. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the, the, it's fast fashion, and and so they've got this incredible churn. They, they're a very elegant, very efficient business model, yeah. and they've got a lot of growth opportunity as well. Okay. So I think the the challenge with the La Visa is again to sort of say, well, yes, this this was always going to be a tough period. Um, looking at their their recent deck, you can see sales have really rebounded from the lows. They've still got a bit of a way to go. Yeah. It is going to be tough for the, for the foreseeable future. But again, you have, to, you have to look beyond that. I think their earnings could recover within the next couple of years. And I think you're looking at a business that could probably generate some low single digit, double digit rather type growth of so 10, 15% on a net profit basis going forward. I think it's actually decent. So for someone who's prepared to sort of look past all of this, look yeah. at the quality of management, strength of the balance sheet growth opportunity, all of that kind of stuff. I I think the price is pretty reasonable at this point. Okay. Mark?
0: No, it's not one that that I like too much. Obviously, it's well run and it's come back a long way. Um, Their profits have fallen despite the fact they got JobKeeper, haven't been paying rent. It's just because there's so many variables at the moment uh, in our view. Um, The thing is that, yes, they've got a very entrenched customer base, but they are very reliant on younger people. Who knows what happens to these people if unemployment persists at these levels? They're entrenched in a lot of the physical store, shopping centre, and there could be foot traffic that's under pressure for a long time, so we're unsure about that. Um, They have done an incredible job in the online space, and they've seen an enormous ramp up in recent months, which isn't unexpected. So they're good at that? They're good at that, and they're improving that, and this will only sort of fast-track and fast-forward that online presence that they've got. Um, But for now, uh, I think it's just in the too-hard basket. Probably one of the better fashion retailers, um, although in this environment, there's just too many what ifs.
2: Okay, all right, there you go. Good analysis of LaVisa there. Let's start getting into your um, stocks that you've suggested. First one up, uh, Michael comes from John Grain Corp. This is the a big integrated grain business, uh, storage, logistics and, and marketing. Uh, wheat, barley, canola uh, here, and they basically got it to themselves, don't yeah, they?
0: Yeah, well, they've been around for a long, long time. long time. They were privatized, I think, in the early 90s. Yep. Um, it's uh, the best of breed, but they are ultimately reliant on grain prices uh, and oil prices, what they extract from those grains. This year and next year are meant to be bumper harvest after sort of three years of drought, so that puts them in a very good position. Mm-hmm. However, um, the way that they operate, they do deals with insurance companies, and because it's going to be such a good year, they're going to have to actually pay out some money to the insurers. Uh, so in good years, you've got to pay out money to insurers. In bad years, yes, you're insured, but you've still got to go through those right. cycles. They spun off the Malt business, which was actually one of their growth businesses, which were higher margin, um, for, for whatever reason, that was a decision that they made. Uh, look, it's an ag business, obviously. And for that reason, we tend to avoid it because of that lumpy right. nature of earnings. But at this point in the cycle, they're looking very, very good, looking like they're going to be trading on 10 times free cash flow yield, which is always a very good number. Uh, and that's contingent on the fact that they can harvest this grain and yep. the, the season's as good as everyone's forecasting it to be. But uh, I tend to avoid these businesses okay. uh, in general.
2: So is that where United Malt come from? Yes, from I think that, so, that yes. That was their malt That was business, fairly wasn't? recent. Yeah.
0: Um, and that was used in a lot of different uh, food products and whatnot, which yeah, tend and to have Yeah, and for brewing margin. and stuff like that's that. That's right.
2: They were doing it for around the world.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting business too. Um, what do you think of, of GrainCorp Andrew yeah I, I've got a bias against agribusiness yeah. as well <coughs> just super Excuse tough me. super lumpy um, you, you only have to look at their uh, historical performance to sort of see this and this isn't yep necessarily a question on, on, on management um, competency or anything like that it's really tough so Michael pointed to the, the variability variability uncertainty of prices well the same goes for volumes too as well which, which is um, really important so yes great great year this year but what's next year going to be like what's the year after that going to be like um, you know the balance sheets in pretty good shape um, uh you, you probably do well if you were taking a long-term view and to sort of smooth out those earnings look at an average kind of pace of earnings growth but it's not it's hard to see a a, a sustainable catalyst for this that's going to drive it materially higher these tend to be the kind of businesses that if you know intimately well and you're very very accurate and fussy on your valuations you might do okay i mean it's, yep. it's never going to be the kind of zip <laughs> for no. example <laughs> not not that everything should be held it's against not, that not, bench, not a, right? growth,
2: a growth. you probably wouldn't call it a gross stock but no. is it is it a defensive stock in your portfolio oh. is a or,
1: it'll be around for a long, long time. I'm sure it'll be around for decades to come. Yeah, yeah. But Whether it'll be actually generating um, consistent and attractive earnings growth over that period yeah, yeah. Is, is the hard thing. I mean, you, this is, you could have bought shares in this 10 years ago. and I think they're basically where they are today right. with okay. all, everything that's sort of, you know, it's just, it's it's not to be too critical of this kind of business. It's just, Knowing where, knowing to, knowing to focus in areas that are just more attractive and there's less variability at play. Right. Too much. Okay. Too much left to chance.
2: Okay. All right. There you go, John. Uh, that's the opinion on GrainCorp. Um, Lenny. Now, Andrew has uh, wants a view on Auckland International Airport. Um, yeah. As the name implies, it's it's the big airport in Auckland. Difference between big difference between it and Sydney Airport is Sydney Airport leases the land. Auckland Airport owns the land over there and it's sort of a property play as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. They've become the biggest property developer in New Zealand. That might be Europe right, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: And and they've got a really great history of shareholder wealth creation. You know, the monopoly type asset. Yep. Good good uh, secular trends uh, in that sector. You know, up until recently. Mm. Um, but but again, we come back to this this uncertainty of of where we are at the moment and where we're going. The international travel numbers we're just in July were down something like more than ninety five percent or so. There's a long road to recovery there. Um, I think I might have mentioned last time this came up that we saw a report from Airbus which said that uh, air traffic volumes weren't likely to recover fully at least until 2025 or so. And there's Ooh. a lot of assets. And Qantas not going to fly internationally until July. <laughs> <You> <laughs> know?
2: You
1: know. that's what they're saying now. Yeah. July. And and so there's 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 there's, there's, there's branching alternate realities here. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. one where we get this wonderful virus, a uh, vaccine rather, which solves everything within six months, and every everyone just jumps back on a plane again. Um, which even under that circumstance I'm not sure volumes will ever go back to where they were at least take a while to given we, we know how effectively we can work uh, yeah. remotely and stuff these days as well but the other path there is that this drags on for a long long time and we just we just um, fail to see that that v-shaped recovery that so many people were sort of calling for so great uh, up until recently a wonderful assets wonderful business really well run it's just it's I'm not ashamed to say too hard for me at this point. I I can't see how this plays out accurately, unless you're a very, very, very long-term investor prepared to take a lot of uncertainty in the the meantime. I think you would better just watching on the sidelines until things clarify a bit. This is actually
0: one that we were buying recently. We're happy to take that risk on because it's such a high quality, long-term monopoly infrastructure asset. Um, If you look at the the, the numbers, and they're all pretty disastrous, look at international numbers, obviously they've collapsed. The number of airlines flying out of Auckland have come down significantly uh, as well. They obviously did raise a lot of capital and got their balance sheet in order, which should get them through this period, so long as there's not another flare-up in COVID globally or in New Zealand. Um, But they do have some quality assets, not only the airport, but they've got a stake in Queenstown Airport as well. They've got over 200 hectares um, of, of different or, or sorry hectares of land that they're going to gradually develop over time which should help sort of offset some of the airport fluctuations so from our point of view if you can take it a medium to longer term view this is an opportunity to mm. buy into a great asset so does
2: it um, the, the property part of it does that cushion it a bit uh, their results compared to say a Sydney airport would you buy this? You know, mm-hmm. under the the same rationale, um, mm-hmm. rather than Sydney Airport.
0: Yeah, we would buy this over Sydney Airport because it's got those property assets, yeah. uh, the fact that it owns the land as well, and the fact that it's a little bit more diversified. Because they're doing big DFOS
2: um, and IKEAs that's and stuff right. like that
0: on the perimeter on the peri- yeah. of the airport, and that will still continue to play out. So, yeah. from our point of view, they've got a better quality balance sheet than Sydney Airport. They don't have as much debt as Sydney Airport. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Sydney Airport's a trust. I'm pre- Auckland International Airport's a company, so there's differences around franking, and Auckland's from overseas. We get the foreign investment uh, re, re, um, repayment as well right. for that. So there are different things yeah. that we quite like about it. Okay. Not well, as that's sensitive really to interest rate movements and bond markets, etc. Yeah.
2: Uh, this has got to sound really romantic, but I'm not a romantic. Um, Lib and I go and see the sunset uh, most nights from Brangaroo Park. Oh, really? And you would. You just would see planes stacking up with the two runways. Now, if you see one every 15 minutes, yeah. you go, whoa, there's a plane. Yeah. It's extraordinary. I did a double take in the sky yeah. the other day. Nothing What's that is, noise?
1: <laughs> nothing is flying. Yeah, I actually it's said amazing. to her
2: last night, I said, geez, if I want to get rid of a house on the flight path, I'd be doing a now. Timing's
1: every day. <laughs> exactly.
2: All right, uh, Lenny, a good analysis there on, um, on Auckland International Airport. Our third stock uh, comes from James Michael, Aristocrat and Leisure. Yep. Now, they don't have a June 30, end of financial year. There's a September 31, mm, so yep. the last results were the half year in March. Um, profits were down a bit then, revenues down about 7%. Um, they, because of COVID, and no casinos buying their poker machines, um, laid off staff, cut wages and and sort of rationalized.
0: This is a business we we really like and we own for the majority of our clients. Um, We continue to like it despite the fact that the casino business is struggling. But in saying that the unit sales of poker machines were actually better than expected, still dropped 60, 70% or something like that, um, but is performing better than expected at this point. They've got 25% market share globally when it comes to the poker machines business, which is an, an extraordinary number. And you'd have to think that casinos, by and large, will be pretty elastic and bounce back right. once these restrictions have gone. But the major attraction for us isn't even that casinos business. It's more the online gaming. So social casino gaming um, and casino games online, where they're winning a lot of market share in the US at the moment. That's a very high oh, so margin they're, they're business. they just
2: not, So, if you like old-school yeah. bricks-and-mortar poker machines, they're they are getting into online right. gaming as that's well. That's right. And that's
0: increasing mm. in size as a proportion of, of revenue and, and earnings as well. And that's really their major growth kicker yeah. in the years ahead. Obviously, the casinos, poker machine business is still growing, chipping away as a lot of states and countries deregulate their gaming laws. Yeah. But the major attraction, as I was saying, is this digital online games. It's not only just casino games where you pay money and bet money, but it's just... Um, social gaming on the internet. Right, and that's yeah. seen a real big pickup recently because of the fact right. that everyone's sitting at home during COVID. Um, they're increasing their market share in that space as well. And that's, I think, something to sort of keep an eye on for this company because it's not trading okay. on such challenging multiples relative to some of these other tech uh, and high flying names in the market. So it's one that we, we like.
1: Okay. Andrew? Yeah, and it's had um, an incredible history, I mean, 11-fold increase in dividends over the last 10 years, the return oh, on equity is consistently yeah. above 30%. I mean, these guys just make, make bank. And. and oh as Michael said, a huge player, I think the second largest manufacturer yeah. globally. So it's yeah. a real Aussie success story. Yeah. Um, and and that online component is absolutely right. It's about 30% of revenue, if I was reading it right, and 28% margins there as well. So it's a really nice business. It was up 19%, I think, at the half. Yeah. So again, I, I think Michael's right. This is um, a sector that that will recover. I mean, gambling is not going anywhere. Um, mm. you know. Uh, so so yeah, I think it's right. If I was being fussy, I sort of did a bit of a thumb sketch uh, valuation, the thumb suck, I should say. Um, I was in $25 seemed a, a bit more attractive for me. But if, for the long term, I think you couldn't go too wrong.
0: You know? Right. One okay. of their games, for instance, is among the top 20 most Google things in the world. And that's just some so League of Game. Legends or oh, something like raid or... I think this oh, one that's is right. something uh-huh. like that so yes, they're exactly. they're more prevalent than many people would associate aristocrat yeah with. Sort of so
2: of... which says a lot for their management that that's they right. are getting into that digital side understand yeah. it and and putting some resources well, there's an overlap
0: on. of skills building yeah. out those games the interactivity yeah. of it making it look all good and yeah. what appeals to people's psychology yeah. it's all thought through and then you have
2: Ainsworth
0: who started Aristocrat but then set up Ainsworth.
2: As a competitor and hasn't done nearly as well.
0: No, I think a initially it had a, a bit of a, a growth phase and then it just sort of went out the window and I think Len Ainsworth might have even left Ainsworth now as well. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it,
1: it's a tough business <clears throat> in the sense that you, you're always having to come up with new games new yeah. machines. It's kind of like mm. the movie business. You know, yeah. if you have a real couple of blockbuster hits, it makes all the difference but if you have a run of bad luck, it can really impact as right. well. So, the, the great thing about the online component, of course, is it's a global market, it's massive. And this, this online gaming market is growing phenomenally fast. Um, but the, the flip side of that is, is you're up against some very, very big global competitors as well. So it's, it's, it's a much tougher space to, to operate. Right. But yeah, I, I, think, okay. I think on balance, it looks reasonable.
2: All right, good. Um, our next dog uh, comes from Angus, now, Pointera. Is um, one of these darlings of, of the last month or two months because <coughs> an Aussie tech entrepreneur, Bevan Slattery, put two and a half million dollars into it. And it's one of the, he, he's sort of, um, uh, if you like, a, a rock star tech investor. Um, I still don't quite know <laughs> what it does. Um, um, it commercializes, it says it's unique 3D geospatial data technology and solves problems in the digital asset management workflows and allows large 3D data sets to be used in high performance computing. So- I can so, explain it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you, I can, can go explain go. what all that means to me? <laughs> uh, but Bevan Slattery getting into it, Seems to you know, wow. give it a rocket. Wow, that's a,
1: that's, a, that's a business study in and of itself. So so we have these things called point clouds. You put a laser scanner into a building, it sends a billion points of light around and then that's mapped geospatially, it's a, it's a right. 3D map. Um, and, and this is an area that's going very, very fast. And it's also an area that's undergoing a structural shift in how you manage that data. These are huge terabytes of, of, of information. And often companies go out; and they need to rescan things regularly, but they also need to uh, store, uh, manipulate, share all of this. Now kind let's have of a stuff. guess
2: when Bevan Slater reinvested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I should I
1: should say this is actually at present the number one ranked stock on Strawman, although our members had it in the the index at last year when it was at a much more attractive yeah, price. Yeah,
2: no, I was to, I was actually going to point that out and say Pointera was in your. It um, still is
1: even before Bevan Slattery got in. Yeah. I mean, the, the, this is what's fascinating. So th- this this was a very interesting company approaching an inflection point, global leader in this very, very small niche, big runway, big opportunity. There's 12 people in the business. So back when we were buying, this is this was this the market thought this is probably worth about $25 million. Yep. Bevan Slattery puts $2.5 million in it goes up sevenfold. And now the business is worth $120 million. 20, $175 million. Wow. Now is it good to have that? Yeah, absolutely. In that time, they also reported a, some good growth in their annualized contract value. Uh, they also hit uh, cash flow break even on a monthly run rate basis. So all good things, all things yep. that you wanted to see. Is it good news? Yes. Is the is the br- the future as bright as it always was? Yes. At what point does this become a bit silly? So I'll probably have a lot of straw man members yelling at me right now. But I think,
2: <laughs> I think,
1: and I still own a few. I've, be, I've been selling down on the way up. But, but I, I just think... This is at 48 times, the, the, the market value is 48 times their annualized contract value, what they expect to earn in revenue in the coming 12 months. So for,
2: not 48 times earnings. No. 48 times revenue.
1: Not even revenue. What what revenue would be on a run yeah. rate basis going, oh, going over okay. the next 12 oh, months. Okay. So that is phenomenal. Now, right. the, the, the argument would be here is that this is a very, very low base. So you mm-hmm. know you, you could add 3 or $4 million worth of sales this year and sales would be up 100% or something like that. Um, and, and there is a very big opportunity. The challenge here is they have to scale. So a, a running a business of 12 people is very different from running a business of 200 people. Yeah, and okay. they've got to make that transition. And they've got to execute on all this expectation. So I'm as fond of the business as I've, as I've ever been. Um, but I would, I would encourage. I think when I've actively gone out and sought the, the bull thesis that other people are putting out there, it always seems to be centred around momentum and technicals at this point in time, with no real eye on what the business is, is doing in its in its cash wow. generation capacity. So, so I I think that. The people are looking at this and they're extrapolating, thinking I'm going to. It's going to keep doing that, and given after pay and zip and, and this crazy market, maybe it's <laughs> yes. going to be a fifty no, cents no. this time next week. But that is that is a very asymmetric bet where the odds are against you at this stage. Right. So for me, it's 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 too expensive. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's not one that I knew
0: much about. I only knew it because of Andrew discussing it weeks and weeks ago. Yeah. But um, Bevan Slather was part of Next DC. was part yep. of mp one Superloop, Pipe Networks, Megapodic. going back a while. Mm. So but
2: he's gone into an HR one too, doesn't he? Oh, uh, maybe. It'll come to me. Yeah. Yep.
0: So he's captured this following, whether or not you want to be rushing in now after all, there's that hype built into the share price is always yep. difficult. Um, but the way I, I sort of think about these businesses is when on it History Channel these days they go into like Hagia Sophia in Turkey or they go into the pyramids <laughs> and they map all this and all these data points and then you get like ah. a 3D image where you're walking around inside.
2: Ah, so the, they do all that.
1: And
0: it looks at all the engineering okay. and that sort of stuff. And then they're able to store that data and store that image, which is right. taking up used to take up mega computers basically. So. These days, it allows contractors, employees to transfer all these images across different projects and stuff, so there's definitely merit to it. I'm not sure about competition or what's out there, but it seems like a very interesting business, but you can't just pay any price no. for an interesting story, and that's yeah. what I think I fall
2: down on this. Okay, all right, so, uh, but a great story, okay. and yeah. and a great lesson in, yes, you've got companies, but to get that traction and get that story, out to investors, if you get, you know, somebody with a great track record say, I'm going to have skin in the game, it just sends a ballistic, doesn't it? I don't
1: think it's also a, a good uh, example of, of doing the work before the market uh, pays attention. I mean, the business yeah. isn't that fundamentally different from where it was six months ago. You know, all of, the, all of the attractive things that we could say about it now, you could say six months ago. It's just that the market didn't recognize it. And we are also socially led on the market. It's like, oh, the market hasn't done much, therefore it's not a good stock. You know, and it, yep. it, it becomes this, it's really backwards. If you, if you want to get these sevenfold monster kind of returns, you've got to kind of be before that. You've got to make you got to make a very strong case, and importantly, you have to sit through a hell of a lot of volatility because this thing went from seven cents to yep. three cents, <laughs> you know, and it was it just churned your stomach. But behind it all, it's very old-fashioned Warren Buffett stuff. There's a real business there with real potential. Focus okay. on that. Forget the share price. All right, and and you'll do better. Okay, let's get uh, so really good advice there. Um,
2: let's uh, Samantha. Samantha, you sound as though you're going very bearish on the market. <laughs> Samantha wants a view on the BetaShares Australian Equities Strong Bear Hedge Fund. Now, um, this is an ETF with a portfolio that sort of hopefully protects you if there's a big market crash. Yeah, uh, What do you reckon, It's Michael? actually
0: one that we use and we've had ah. clients getting into it over sort of recent months. If people start okay. to feel a little bit nervous, often what people do is they sell down a portion of the holdings and they put it in cash. But for a lot of people, that doesn't really work that well because you might have a lot of capital gains that you then incur. So an alternative is to buy something like this BBOS, which is basically two to three times inverse the market. So it's a geared fund. So say the market goes up 1%, this BBOS uh, inverse ETF will go down two to two and a half to three percent or so. So there's another mm-hmm. one out there, the, the BEAR or the BEAR Fund, which is just an inverse one for one, but this one's a more leveraged option. There's the B Bus, which is the US version mm. of this. So there definitely is merit in our opinion, in looking at these things from time to time, for, not for everyone, but for the clients that are a little bit spooked by where valuations are at the moment, spooked by things like the COVID and they're looking to okay. protect a portion of their portfolio's downside. So we have been looking at this and we do have some clients in it.
2: Right. So so would you see this as part of a broader portfolio as a bit of insurance that's... If, if the market crashes? Like, like, you know, it's being driven up by, apparently if you take the fangs, Facebook and um, Alphabet and Netflix and out of the American market, it's actually gone down mm. um, yeah. in the last year. It's only those mm. stocks pushing it up.
0: Well, that's right. And look, the thing with this is it does give you that that hedge, as you say, but I wouldn't hold it forever. I wouldn't have it there as a long term. It's a guaranteed lose long term. That's right. Because our view is long term, the market's going to do very well. And again, it's not for every client. But those that are in a very good position, they've got some very good gains, and and they're a bit nervous where markets are at. Say they've got a a million dollar portfolio, you can put two, three hundred K in there and say we get a a performance like we had back in March, and the market falls 30%. This thing will go up basically 100%. Yeah, so you're making a, a pretty good hedge without having okay. to outlay that much capital and without having to liquidate positions and incur capital gains.
2: Okay,
1: yes, the only problem with it is well, <laughs> one of the problems with it is, is that everything there is, is dependent on timing. Yeah, so we saw before well, we knew what happened in the markets in March, yeah. right? A huge, huge crash.
2: Uh, uh, Got them um, on our production. Can we bring the one year? Um, graph of this back again, and just see uh, how. So, so this, yeah, is this huge plunge,
1: but now we're back below that as well. Yep. So, so to do well on this, you, you really had to sort of be buying in in late February and, and getting out at the right time. Yeah, be- because it is. It so, if you really got
2: nervous about the market, then
1: yeah, right. So, so, so yes, if you can time it right, show me someone who can accurately time the market, and yep. I'll, oh, well, I'll, yep. I'll I'll show you something <laughs> else impossible. But but if you can, then, then that's great. Um, the other trouble that you have to remember um, from an investment point of view is that hedging is a double edged sword. So if you're, if you're hedging yourself with this and the market doesn't crash and the market goes up, yeah. your, your gains are negated as well. Yeah. So it sets everything it's inside. Leverage. Michael's right. If you've got a lot of, a lot of a big portfolio, there's tax considerations and you're, you're, you're going to be nervous for whatever reason, it, it will smooth that all out for you. But there's no free lunch. Yeah. The, the cost of that is, is actually the, the doom and gloom that, that you, you see didn't, didn't occur and in fact the market's gone much better than you've expected and you've just lost all of that kind of right. thing. So that's, I would just say if you're doing it, be careful and just, have, just be very cognizant of that timing element. But not now. Well, yeah, I, I don't. No, I just don't. You don't, you don't have to hedge out your entire portfolio, but you might want to reduce a third
0: of your downside sure. or something like yeah, that. And yeah. That's where we have discussions with people around it, but it's not mm-hmm. our go-to play at all. Okay. All
2: right. Let's just recap the uh, the first five stocks, uh, including our stock of the day, Lavisa. Um, Andrew likes it um, at, at this price. well run business a no from Michael GrainCorp. A no from both. Uh, Auckland Airport. A no from Andrew, but yes for patient investors um, um, looking at a rebound, but it's not going to be immediate. <coughs> so a yes from Michael. Uh, two yeses from Aris- for Aristocrat. Uh, no for Pointera, and not at this stage for the ETF beta bear hedge fund. But a really good explanation on how to use it if you start to get a bit nervous. Um, here on the call, we've got our, our own portfolio that we've been tracking since July the 1st. Any stocks that, that get two ticks, two thumbs up from our expert panel, uh, that is a buy from both of them. Uh, we put in the fund, let's check to see how it's been performing. Um, in the last week, it's up 3%. I think that's probably all zip um, from, uh, from last Friday. Um, up 4.3% for the month and year to date up 11 and a half percent since uh, the first of july and uh take a look at some of the stocks we've added recently to the portfolio uh just in august fortescue uh, zip um, the physical gold etf gold cochlear and accent group and auckland airport will be added to that today you can check out the whole portfolio um, just go to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. We'll be updating every day here on the call and see how it's tracking. Uh, make sure to join us a bit later today. We'll speak live with company chief executive, uh, Vic Bansal uh, from CleanAway on the back of their results. Of course, CleanAway out and uh, uh, Bingo out as well. Um, that's from 1 p.m. Eastern right here on Ausbiz. All right. Uh, let's get into the uh, second half of the stocks that you've asked for a view on. And Michael, the Arena reit. Yeah. Look. Typically, we don't
0: invest in reits too often. Uh, there's probably been two or maybe three in, in history. The first one was Generation Healthcare, right. which eventually got taken over. Then there was Asia Pacific Data Centers that got taken over. Uh, so basically, the point being that we really look for sort of niche REITs that operate in niche spaces. And the arena REIT is probably one that does tick the box, mm. although it's not one that we're invested in. Right. Um, effectively, they've been focusing on owning childcare centers and, and different healthcare related centers, but primarily in the childcare space. Uh, and again, that's pretty niche. It's not like they're taking on the risk of actually running those childcare centers or yep. the risk of running those healthcare businesses. They simply own the property, find a tenant like Jade Education, and then lease out the premises. Um, And they've been fortunate in that in this recent slowdown with COVID, those two have been operating the entire time. So they haven't had the issues that the retailers have, for instance, or the commercial So there's no shopping centres or
2: office blocks or whatever.
0: So they've actually had some pretty good returns. Uh, They've generated some good income for for investors over the years and are likely to continue to be able to deliver fairly steady returns. It's not going to shoot the lights out and be the best performer in your portfolio, but in a world where you're looking for alternate sources to income, other than banks, for instance, I think you could do worse than owning something like this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. Um, this, is, this is not going to shoot the lights out. I think the yield is 5.6% unfranked, yeah. although you get some other kind of tax benefits there. Um, in a world of virtually no interest rates, that's, that's really attractive. Um, maybe on top of that, as a total return, you could layer an extra 3 or 4% just through some organic growth and the rest of it. But yeah, they have held up really well. They've actually got some mandated rent increases through in that time as well, developing some new properties. If they stick to their knitting and remain pretty conservative, I think it's probably pretty decent if you are after income. Right. Um, but it's it's not going to shoot the lights out. Right. So I'll do a buy for an income investor. But 10 right. Yeah, why not? Let's do yeah, okay. a yeah, buy about. for income yeah. investors.
2: All right. Um our next stock, uh, Daniel is asked for an opinion on Alcibian. Is it called? It has a um, a really interesting patient tracking program, um, which is a charting system allows doctors and nurses to log key information, receive alerts about patients. Just done a deal on with the NHS in um, in Scotland recently, um, and um, which is apparently good. It's going to be uh, rolled out across all Scottish hospitals and be operational for five years. So. You know if you've got technology, it's good to have some, some of those international clients. And um, what do you think of it,
1: Andrew? I like it, um, I hold it, uh, it nice. ranks well on Strawman. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the medical um, industry is in dire need of, <laughs> of coming into the 21st century. There's a lot of stuff ah. that's done the old fashioned way. So, you know, Patient Track and their other products really do sort of digitize that and, and deliver a lot of. Uh, transparency and, and benefits. The trouble in this space is that it's just there's very long sales cycles. It's very competitive. It and takes it looks pretty liquid too. From yeah, that it's, chart, it's not super. Lots of blocks. Yeah. yeah. Look, if you, as a retail investor, you know, dealing with sort of five, ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars, you're not—you're not, you're not going to ever have trouble filling right. your order, but for, for very large ones, you will. I actually find that attractive as a retail investor as well. It keeps a lot of the big players away, it doesn't get their attention, you've you, you can, you can form you got better chances of forming um, better informational advantage. Um, so, so we like the small cap space for that. Um, the thing here that's, that's interesting though with, with Alcidian is that they've got some really strong sales momentum. So a lot of years in development, a lot of years trying to get those sort of um, established sites as reference sites built up. Um, and, and they're starting to see that all sort of come through now. Yeah. Um, COVID's actually been interesting um, for them. It's hard to sort of get into hospitals and make the sale, but they have they've been able to pivot a few of their products to make it easier for, for health professionals to track people remotely and check in and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you mentioned the UK, it's a one point something billion dollar market there. They're growing fast. Um, they're still cash flow negative at this point in time but they're interesting because they're approaching that inflection point where they can right. they can they can blow through so that so they've
2: done all the hard work and now rather than just knocking on the door they're starting to get a foot in the door because it takes a long time for hospitals to say yes, yes. to any new technology yeah. but then it's just as hard for them to Say no over ten years. That is, that, that's exactly
1: it. I mean, if you can say, "Hey, look, Prince of Wales is using this," and we've had them as yeah. clients, but yeah, that that is a really strong sales proposition, and you're not you're not sticking your neck out as a hospital right. administrator in, in doing that. They've also got a very good argument in terms of efficiency gains and cost savings and. Um, it, it frankly, improved uh, health care for patients. If right. you've ever been into a hospital, had a loved one in the hospital, there's, there's, it's a bureaucratic nightmare. Things right. can go wrong. So uh, it, it's a, it's a, it is a good story. Um, there is a fair bit into the price at the moment. The average valuation on straw man is about 24 cents at the moment. So there's, right. there is some good upside there, although there is a range there. Um, but I, I think it's probably close to about 18, 19 cents in fair value, so some good upside. But as you saw there, it will be volatile. We will we'll, yep. we'll need to see things play out. I mean, this, if things go the way that we hope that they could go, th- this could be materially more in the future. But as with Pointera before, you know, and, until that, everyone will start getting interested in this when it gets to thirty cents, yeah, you know. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but but if if you are interested in it, I think now is more the time to be interested in it when that market okay. that optimism isn't. All right. there as Bevan Slattery, if you're watching, <laughs> there you go, tip tip two and a half <laughs> well, yeah. million dollars. Right. <laughs> what do you, you think, know, Michael? It
2: <laughs>
0: wasn't one I was familiar with at all. It's probably too small and too yeah. liquid for us to get sort of all our clients in and all of them out. That sort of thing <laughs> would be too difficult. But anything in health tech these days it is pretty attractive to a lot of people. And this seems to have a lot going for it. Not only is it patient records, medical records, they've got like an interesting messaging system where the nurse can leave a note when it hands over to the next nurse and then that can leave a note to the doctor and it's all there. And they've also got this patient tracking system where it collates the information that is manually entered with the information and all the the tubing and the, the computers surrounding the patient so they can early detect different Mm. issues that might be arising with that patient so i think there's a lot of of interesting products there which if integrated into current hospitals could add a lot of value but then there's that whole sales aspect to it and the timing of these new contracts that they that they have to sign in order to commercialize this uh, and that makes it challenging but they do seem to have a pretty interesting product although i can't say it's a buy because i don't know it too well
2: all right but uh uh, daniel certainly worth taking a look at and uh, you would have covered it on Strawman as well. Yes, yeah, lots of detail. If yeah. you need any more detail, go to the Strawman website and it's all there. Um, our next um, uh, stop for a, a view comes from Rob Red River Resources. Um, it runs. Um, it's a, a mining explorer. It's got a, um, a project just out of um, out of Charters Towers and and Townsville. Um, Michael, what do you reckon? Of- wasn't one I was familiar yeah, with, there was this on the
0: smaller end, uh, quite an interesting miner in that it's not just out there exploring for new resources, that's part of its business. Uh, however, from what I could understand is quite interesting, they'll go around and find these old mines, if you like, which have been closed for whatever reason, and then come in, drive efficiency and then build it up, often because the price of that commodity had recovered for whatever right. reason. So. Yeah. Um, obviously, though, once these older mines have been depleted, mm. they've got to go out and they've got to find new resources, and that's, I think, the stage that this company's at. Uh, and they've got a certain project in with a focus on gold, and that's potentially. Gold and more, copper as well. Yeah, yeah and that's yeah. probably why the, the share price has performed the way it has and caught the attention of the viewer.
1: Right. Andrew? Yeah. Um, Look, they've they've been around for a while. I think they've managed to make a little bit of profit last year, but as far as I can tell, that was a first. Um, the cash flow of the business was negative 21 million in the, in the previous 12 months. It's yeah, just a super tough business. Um, uh, it's just one that I stay away from. It, yeah. the, the share price is where it was five years ago. There's only eight million dollars of cash in the bank. Again, alternate, alternate futures here. Yeah. They, they, the price of all their commodities stays super high. They get it out of the ground really efficiently, and, and they find a lot of new resources, and that's that's great. Um, or more statistically likely, they don't. In which case, shareholders will continue to suffer and support the business by additional cap- capital raising. So right. It, yeah. It, it's 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 something that these when, whenever you look at the best performing stock over the last five years. Maybe it'll be the buy now pay later this time around, but it's usually it's usually some previously unheard of mining company because yeah. they went from 0.2 percent to 10 cents or so. You know, percentage gains are just just massive. But what what you've got to also realize in that is that um, you know 99.9 percent of them never really achieve satisfactory returns for for shareholders as well. Yeah. So it's it's more of a lottery ticket. Those that operate in this space do so. With um, a great deal of industry expertise and knowledge, so I think if you're going to be the kind of person who loves to punt on on penny mining stocks, then you yeah. you got it. You've got to be a miner first yeah. <laughs> and know the business. Otherwise, it's just way too hard. Too hard. But for also,
2: me. is it a mistake for a lot of investors who go, "Okay, yeah, gold stocks are going. Um, where are ones that have been left behind? And no one's seen it. Let's go to the bottom end of the market yeah. and." and see if they're going to be pushed up simply by momentum. That's always it's a pretty it's dangerous It's party, the though.
1: Keynesian beauty contest. You yeah. know, it's, 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 it's trying, <laughs> the Keynesian beauty it, which you look, on. Google it if you haven't heard of it. But it's, it's basically saying you're not trying to work out what this asset is worth. You're trying to work out what other people will think the asset will be worth. And so you're really making all those, a, a, an analysis like that really tr- is trying mm-hmm. to anticipate market sentiment. Yeah, and all I'll say is good luck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, like everyone looks for
0: the the stock with the highest. If you if you have a view that gold price is going up, you want to try and identify the stock with the highest marginal benefit from that. And often yeah. it's the the penny dreadful, the one that's got to go from point one of a cent to point two of a percent. That's yeah. it's only incremental moves, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's a hundred percent right there. So people start to get drawn into the right. the bottom end of the market, looking for that one that's going to explode on high gold prices, but. Often people don't understand as well is there's a difference between those that are producing now, are getting the immediate benefit from the high gold prices, as opposed to those that are just pure explorers. That although yes they're aligned to the gold price, they're really not any benefit for them. There's, no, there's no real benefit for those companies in the short term sure. unless these gold prices remain high for a long long okay. period.
1: It's actually a bit of a negative because the yeah. high gold price attracts everyone else to ramp That's up right. production as well. So it just yeah. it's just diabolically tricky okay. industry. All right, uh, Darren wants a view,
2: Andrew, on Spirit Telecom, a telecommunications company in the internet cloud solutions uh, business that's had a pretty good uh, running revenue from the, the last financial year, uh, mainly mainly through some acquisitions. It's been pretty active in the last 12 months, hasn't yeah.
1: it? Yeah, so an internet service provider that's trying to branch out and to be more of an a all-encompassing telco um, they've had some really good successes. Uh, yeah. Revenue doubled last year, yeah. and they're expecting that to roughly double again this year. In fact, a little bit more than double this year. So it's uh, very much acquisition led. There's, there's there's going to be more acquisitions on the cards too, so so be mindful of that. But um, they look to be w- very well capitalized at this point. After a recent raising, uh, close to two thirds of their revenue is, is recurring in nature. Um, they're in a good position within the industry, where a lot of the, the bigger players with most of the market share are sort of having margin issues and the rest of it. Where th- these guys these guys can sort of wear that through through just increased market share capture, right? Which which they own a very very small amount. It's sort of like the bigger few, and then a lots and lots and lots of little tiny ones. And so they seem to be executing well. I'd want to do a lot more work on it to understand whether this this. Um, sales and, and earnings growth could be sustainable and that it translates well into a per share basis. No point yep. doubling your revenue if you triple your, your shares on, on issue, you're not, yep. you're not going to wear the benefit of mm-hmm. that. Um, but it looks interesting if they can, sus- and again, pro- approaching a break even inflection point. So if they can sustain all of this, the price is probably pretty reasonable. Okay.
0: Uh, it reminds me a lot of the telco sector four or five years ago when you had TPG going around merging with M2 Communications or buying up IINet. Yeah. Um, they were really consolidating the industry well then. They were driving these great growth numbers. Um, their margins were okay because their market share was exploding so much. But then it got to a point where the music stopped, so to speak. And they were too big now to keep acquiring other businesses. Or the, op- the alternatives, or the options that were out there, started to diminish. Um, this reminds me of that essentially because ah. they're growing very quickly. They're going around acquiring a lot of businesses. They're getting. A, a foothold in the industry, but at some point it'll be harder to keep maintaining the rates of growth in market share that they need to justify their margins or to maintain those margins. So, it seems like a great business at the moment, great alternative to many of, of the others. They've got ultra fast, high speed internet. I think they're ranked number one in the industry. So, there's a lot to like about the business. They'll probably continue to grow for a while, but at what point does that all come to an end? And that's right. what I'm a bit unsure
2: of. Okay, so. Would you I'm, a, a buy or I'm avoiding. Or not? Avoiding. It, yeah. You're happy for I, a buy. I,
1: I'm, I'm a, I've only looked at it very briefly, yeah. so I, as I say, I like to spend weeks on something okay. before I right, buy. Right. But so, it looks interesting. Looks so just, it's on your watch. It's on my watch list. Yeah. Okay, let's put it there. All right. Out of okay. all the
0: telcos, or out of most of the telcos, this one looks quite good because it's right. actually got some growth. It's yeah. not stuck in this race to the bottom that we're seeing amongst all the other telcos. Others ones are trying to win market share by just dropping their prices continually, right. whereas these guys actually have a pretty good mm. product and they're expanding and bringing more people in, which is okay. attractive relative to some of the other ones. Yeah. All right,
2: Darren, thank you for that suggestion. Something that, that we'll watch over the next uh, couple of months. And our final stock, uh, Greg wants a view on uh, Michael, Maggie Beer Holdings. Now who doesn't like her burnt fig um, ice cream? Um, of course, Maggie Beer, the, the iconic cook, Um, this business focuses focused on food and beverage industry, of course, and in particular, um, products that, that bear the Maggie Beer uh, brand name and also Paris Creek is the other one used to be called long table group. And then they bought Maggie Beer out. Yeah.
0: So Maggie Beer, yeah, she doesn't have that much association with the company anymore, but the Maggie Beer product range is really the key driver for this business. They do do a couple of other things, which I think are struggling. Uh, whereas Maggie Beer has a lot of sort of pre-prepared meal markets now that they're looking to move into, they've signed an agreement with Coles recently, which will help sort of boost up their sales numbers there. So long as it's on good margins, it's a broad positive. Um, but again, it's a pretty fickle space I think to be involved in, and it's hard then to have a medium to longer term positive view on it. Yes, it's going really well at the moment. Those Maggie Beer products But then something else might come along, might taste better, whatever it is, and people move on. So, just because it's so reliant on Maggie Beer, the other products it's got are struggling. It's it's not a buy for mine.
2: Okay, all right. And um, although they did pay, repay Maggie Beer a four hundred thousand dollar loan recently, which is good. She tipped money in because of. the business needed; they've repaid it.
1: Yep, yep. Um, and and look, they've hit monthly cash flow positive. As I can see, they have they haven't made um, a profit uh, yet. Uh, sales up a little bit in a challenging environment. Um, the, the the company's target is for about seventy million in sales by FY '22. Another couple of right. years, um, they reckon they could probably get ten percent EBITDA margin on that. So, if you push that forward and you say, well, let's take that at face value, I think shares are probably pretty reasonable. Um, reasonably priced. But, but as Michael points out, it's a diabolically tough space to be in. You know, consumer tastes and trends can change very quickly. Sometimes a relationship with Coles and Woolies is not <laughs> everything it cra- is yeah, cracked yeah. up to be. Yeah. Lots of
2: volume, not much margin. You know, <laughs> you know
1: it's, it's it's the best thing that you can kind of hope for is like, oh, wow, Woolies is going to stock our product. Great. It's a big jump. But then you know, maybe next year they'll say, oh, listen, we want a better price. We want yeah. a better price. And oh, there's someone else who's come along. It's, it, it's, it's a very tough kind of thing. So it, it's it's a no for me. Yep. Um, but look, if, if they can get close to what they suggest that they can, I, I would imagine shareholders do well. But there's just there's a lot of uncertainty in all okay. of that.
2: All right. Let's just recap the final uh, five stocks. Uh, the Arena REIT um, for uh, those people after income, income investors, um, is a pretty good one um, in the view of both Michael and Andrew because it's in that childcare area. There are no shopping centers, no no office blocks, which, which are the big problem areas of the property market at the moment. El Cidian, a yes from Andra, a no from, uh, from Michael. Um, Red River Resources, no from both. Uh, Spirit Telecom, um, put on the watch list at the moment, get more information because it does look pretty good. Um, and Maggie Beer, a no. So uh, as of today, Auckland Airport, uh, was in our, um, in our, uh, call portfolio. Um, Andrew has now tipped it out, uh, because we didn't get the, uh, you know, buy reinforcement. Oh, I can order. do that by myself. So that's I? A, yes, you can. <laughs> oh, so that's, the, that's the rules. <laughs> if it gets two ticks from our expert panel, it goes in, but if it comes up again. And it's not unanimous, well, then it gets turfed out oh, again. Oh, man, the pressure's
1: on now. No, no, yeah. no, that's
2: what investing's all about, okay, yeah. isn't <laughs> it? Because the story game, changes. Yes. It's, it's really, and the whole reason we're doing it, it's just fantasy, it's like playing supercoach in uh, in football. Um, but what can we learn from doing this sort of thing? Because you've got to constantly re- review your stocks. You can't marry them. If things change, you get out of them.
0: And does that mean aristocrat's in?
2: Aristocrat's in, hey, as okay. a result, that's what I was going to say. And the arena REIT goes in. So that's a good thing. Mix for it up a bit. So yeah, it doesn't yeah. need to be uh, always sexy stocks and big growth stocks. Um, so it's a good one for income producer. Um, so that was really fabulous. Um, to both of you, thank you, oh, Andrew and Michael. Thank you. Always thank you. great to have you part of the call here. Now, if you want to um, suggest any stocks for us to review here on the call, and um, just flick us an email to call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the as o- at osbiz TV handle. And a reminder where to find all the stocks we have in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Now, before we head to a very short break, you can get the latest from our team, from Scuddy and Nadine, every afternoon. If you've missed what's going on in the market, sign up to the COB. Uh, the stuff you need to know about the day in business and finance and startups. You can do that by going to ausbiz.co slash join. We'll have it in your inbox by 5.30 Eastern every Monday to Friday. And Adbury Managing Director Nick Miller joins us live on The Pulse to take us through the company's results. That's at 1.45 Eastern. And uh, also Tim Dimitriou from, uh, from Pencil. Um, if you're interested in um, anything to do with startups, the Startup Daily Show um, is on between 2 and 3 at, 10, at uh, 2.30. Tim Demetrio is a Chief Executive of PencilPay, a new platform to help uh, supply um, and manage credit payments, loans, and a whole lot more. That's coming up on the Startup Daily Show right here on AusBiz. That's it for us. Enjoy the uh, the rest of the afternoon here on AusBiz.